0: uh terry i know that there was a family death but also floyd has been pretty sick like really sick and so we uh we're gonna be praying for floyd uh as well this morning before we kind of dive into praying for the sermon and so we as a body like i know there are a lot of people who are physically here we got a lot of people who are online and live in different parts of the country or can't get out for one reason or another or are farming or whatever it is like and so those people are part of our body and we're praying for floyd because he's a part of our body um let's pray Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with uh, our brother Floyd and with Marlene as he is uh, sick. I pray that you would bring him healing, um, bring him quickly to uh, recovery in, in your mercy with, with your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would make him well. Um, I pray that you would uh, bless him uh, and, and, and help him to just be strong on the other side of all of this, uh, this illness and, and the, the mourning of a, of a family member, Lord. I pray that you be with Marlene and give her uh, give her grace as she deals with her her husband and he's sick. And, and I pray that we as a body would uh, reach out to them, that we would uh, pray for them in person and visit and and just be the body of Christ to him uh, in this time of illness. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Oh, and i got to pray for the sermon. I'm sorry. Heavenly Father, also uh, be with me as I bring the sermon this morning. Uh, I Help me to, above all else, help me to be faithful. Help me to set myself aside. Help me to set aside all the tricks and, and ideas and clever approaches and everything else that I, I sometimes want to do um, and just rely on you and your word. I uh, pray that the folks who are here, that their hearts would be good soil where the seeds would land and they would find root and, and, and the, the, the water of your spirit in our prayers, Lord, would, would bring growth. Um, I pray for that. Uh, Today for everyone who's here, for everyone who's online, anybody who hears the word from us in this place, help it to help it to grow into a great harvest, Amen. Um, I have uh, really enjoyed a lot of things about living in Big Sandy. Uh, I I actually, real quick, I got to explain something. We're doing the slides a little different today, and I will explain why later. Okay? There are Bibles, actual print Bibles. In the pews in front of you some of you have iPhones or other ones that are like the wish.com version of the iPhone and um, you might be tempted to grab up your iPhone or your wish.com phone and look up Bible verses that way I would heartily encourage you to pick up a paper Bible from in front of you I am NOT an anti technology guy uh, but you know what I think in the same place that I watch funny cat videos I might have some weight attached to that screen while I try to read the scriptures. And maybe a little bit of paper is good for us today. Um, Too many distractions, too much stuff in life. And maybe stopping and being with Jesus like here and now is what we need like on Sundays. Right? We don't do Sunday morning to convert people. We don't do Sunday morning to preach to, to lost people. We do Sunday to worship God and to build up the body. And folks who encounter Christ, encounter Christ through y'all when you walk out the door. Um, And so let us look at our Bibles. I will do this without warning uh, in the future. Please bring your Bibles if you have one. If you don't have one, come talk to me and I will buy you one. I already bought Wyatt one this morning. Or we already bought Wyatt one this morning. It was a joke. It was a joke. Did I pray for the sermon? I did. All right. Um, So a few weeks ago, we did this. Service that was hard. We stood up and we said some difficult things about something that happened and it was painful and everything else and I was exhausted personally exhausted. I did not want to do anything related to this church for a while. I didn't want to do anything at all. I wanted to crawl into a hole and hide and die. That was my primary goal in life. That same day there was a thing going on. That thing was a branding at the bits home. They're here. They're not in here. I assume that means they're in the nursery. So they can't even hear me talk about this. Um, in the 11 years that I've been here, of the handful of things that I love more than anything, I love going to brandings. I love getting dirty with, like, wrestling cows and the smells and the, everything else. I love doing that with people who I'm brothers and sisters in Christ with, right? I love that. I look forward to it every year. There have been a couple times I haven't been able to go on, and it's been very upsetting for me. And so I wanted to go home, and instead we went to the branding, right? And and everybody who was there had a ball. Uh, it it kicked off in a great way, and went well all the way through. <sighs> um, ah. Quiet, little boy. <laughs> no, that's uh, tea. I've given up Diet Pepsi forever. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I ask somebody from the Bits clan, and they will tell you that story. Please do not ask me. I've forgotten what happened. I've blocked it out. But, so I, I love doing this because I like, you know, I, I like the rough and tumble. I like the camaraderie. I like the fellowship. And then I like also... Um, um, just being a part of that, right? Like, it's kind of awesome. You do this work. You have these pens of cows and or calves, and by the end, there's none, and they've all been branded, and you did this thing together, and it's awesome. And um, every year I've done this, and I was uh, 30 or 40, golly, what is 11 years ago? So I was uh, 25 when we came. Uh, no, I was in my uh, mid-40s when I came, and I, I was able to... Oh, I was in my mid-30s. I'm not older than I thought I was. I was in my mid-30s when I came, and I was fitter. I, I was more athletic. I was uh, in a place where it was a, a fun, physical thing to do. And in the last few years, lots of stuff has happened. I am less fit than I was. I blame COVID and losing access to the gym at 4 o'clock in the morning. I know it's open at 6. I don't care. I want to go at 4. I don't want to see anyone. But, like, it's COVID's fault that I'm not fit, not mine, um, but I'm not as fit. And also, like, I'm rounding the corner on 50, right? And I, there was a point in time at this branding where I looked around and I realized, of the people who are wrestling with cows, calves, I got 10 years on every one of them. And some of them, 30 years, which is impossible, but somehow. There was a point in time in the middle of this thing where I was standing there, and I think I was taking a picture of someone or whatever, and a calf broke loose, and I, it was like a bull. And it started to move, and it started to get up, and I jumped on it. when I jumped on it, like I was in my 20s, I hit it, and I think anybody who knows anything about cows would have said, Eric, you did that wrong, right? But I did it my way. And when I did it, I hit this calf like sort of three-quarters, and it dislocated one of my ribs, shoved it up behind the rib next to it, and you could feel the dent where the rib was missing, and it knocked the wind out of me, and there were people around me who saw me react. I continued to stay there and lay on top of the cow. Uh, Lots of people, when they get hurt, they just lay on the ground. I laid on the cow. Uh, But I, I, you know, and then after that, I kind of got up, and I sat down. I was having trouble breathing, and the pain started to ebb a little bit, and I thought, you know what? I can help. I just need to not wrestle any more calves. And so I walked around and I watched other people wrestle calves, and every once in a while I'd put my knee on one. Or i you know, there were a bunch of youth group kids there, and I helped them a little bit, right? And, and I, I helped, but I wasn't in the middle of it because I'm like, man, I'm older than I want to be. I'm not old. Uh, but I'm also kind of hurting. And then um, we hit the spot where there were almost no calves left, and a lot of the volunteers had disappeared somehow. And I'm standing there by the barn watching, and it was me and another young man and a calf, a bull, little bull, got pulled out, and I was – there was no one there. And I thought, well, if no one's going to do it, I will. And I, uh, I grabbed a hold of this calf, and it all went wrong from the beginning. And uh, we got it down. We got it held. It got away. I held on to the leg. It kicked me repeatedly. And I, Larry was standing there. He's like, you know, for God's sake, man, Let go. So I'm holding on to this cow, and he's kicking me, kicking me, kicking me, kicking me. And I let go, and then he took several steps back and proceeded to step on me. And, like, they're trying to push him away or get him to move, and he is not moving. he just kept stepping on me. And I – eventually he did, and I just laid there because I was like – then I – suddenly that dislocated rib hurt a lot more along with a bunch of other stuff. And I was laying there thinking, what just hit me, right? What on earth just hit me? That calf pulled almost – actually ripped my jeans. And pull, like, the whole back end and the leg off. Like, it was hanging off, and my underwear was hanging out. And I had to cover up because, you know, there were ladies' present, and I didn't want to put them in temptation. Um, It was a joke. I'm sorry. Um, And I I, uh, laid there for a bit, and I was hurting pretty bad. And somebody on a horse came by me and said, if you're hurt, go lay down somewhere else. Get up and move. And it wasn't Bill. It was, was, anyway. So um, I I have had a a rough couple weeks, and I've been trying to pray, and I've been trying to read the scriptures, and I've had some realization. And we're going to be looking at Mark 4 today. Open in your Bibles. I do not know the page number for you. I know it's Mark 4. Uh, And we're actually going to do 30 to 32 after my extraordinarily long and silly introduction. We are going to talk about this text. It's a short text. Hopefully I don't go too long. I'll do my best. Okay? Um, the reason we're talking about this is uh, there are, and actually while I was being stomped on by a calf, like this calf is over me and stepping on me repeatedly, someone was standing nearby. I didn't hear this because I was busy. Um, but they turned to the person next to me and they said, hey, look, it's a reenactment of Eric's week. Uh, <laughs> Uh, And I thought that was funny because I've had a really rough week. I've had a really rough several weeks. A lot of us have had a really rough several weeks. And there's this thing I do sometimes where I don't think God can do things on my behalf. I don't think God can use other people. I think I am it. And instead of, hey, I hurt my rib, maybe I should go sit down a while. I think, yeah, I'm hurting, but I can keep working. And, yeah, I said I was way too hurt. To, I actually told myself, no more wrestling calves today. I'll just help. And I did it anyway. And when I did it anyway, I got stomped on. Right? Because at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, when it comes to walking with Jesus, it's easy to forget that Jesus does all the heavy lifting for us. It's easy to forget, and it's easy to get sidetracked into this idea that we do the work. Um, We're working our way through these marked parables, and this is the last parable. It's kind of in the anchor spot, and um, we're going to talk for a second about the context because the context drives a lot home. Um, Can you bump my slide for me, please? Um, The context drives a lot home. The meaning of this particular parable, the parable of the mustard seed, is actually shaped by all of the preceding parables. And it's in the anchor position. It's the last one because it has special meaning. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, The first of the parables, again, Jesus is doing parables. He's not teaching and then telling parables. He stopped teaching and he's just doing parables. Because the whole teaching that they're supposed to be absorbing is Jesus himself. And watching Jesus and interacting with Jesus is supposed to be the teaching. The parable historically is... When you're told a story and you take that story and you make a decision about what you're going to do with that story, right? So you have to make this decision when a parable is put to you. That's what they would use it for. And Jesus is like, I'm the the sermon. I'm the kingdom of God. I'm knocking my microphone off. Uh, I am these things, and I'm going to tell you parables, and you're going to decide what to do with it. But you're going to decide to do with it based on me. The first parable is the parable of the soils. And it's interesting because the soils is us. We are the soils. What does soil do? Nothing. It lays there, right? That's it. It covers your car. It makes it brown. That's it. But, like, the soil lays there. Who does all the work in the... in the um, in the text, that story is the farmer. He's spreading the gospel. He's sharing Jesus with people. Some people argue that Jesus is the farmer and he is sharing the gospel with people or sharing himself with people. But the hearts of men passively or actively receive. And the condition of our hearts will determine what comes out of it. What are we doing in that story if we're the dirt? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, um. The second parable, the the disciples go, and they're like, hey, what's up with the parables? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you teaching right? Do this better, which is a thing I would probably do to Jesus myself. Hey, you're doing this wrong. Follow my plan, right? Anybody? Just me? (laughs) Um, The second parable, like the disciples come. They're like, hey, what's going on? He explains the parable because when they come to him and ask him for an explanation, that's what we're supposed to do. The teaching always comes from Jesus. The meaning, the truth, everything always comes from Jesus. And if we lose that, we get lost. The other thing that we can lose very easily is Jesus is doing all the work. If we do not trust that, if we do not operate in relation to that properly, we'll get stomped on by life, by our own sin, by the world, by our inability to cooperate with God, right? Um, I, I really find trains interesting because, uh, the, uh, trains, they used to have this cow catcher on the front and a cow catcher is actually not a cow catcher. It is a cow exploder because it doesn't matter what gets in front of that train. Guess what? That is correct. Little boy. Stop. Um, you cannot get in front of a freight train and expect to stop it, right? You can't, you can't do it. Um, and if we get in the way of God's will and try to fight it, he will go through us and we'll get stomped on by a bull and he'll use it to teach us and create us into something new and it'll be glorious and wonderful, right? But it's not going to be pleasant at the moment. Um, the next parable he tells is the parable of the lamp. I have these listed up here. The parable of the lamp is basically saying Jesus is the lamp. He is a light that's come into this dark world and we can only know the truth based on him. Our hearts will decide What we see and what we don't see. But if we don't cooperate with the lamps, our hearts are messed up. We have the stony hearts, right? Jesus is the thing that makes everything work. All of these parables, except for the lamp, are agricultural. That's a recurring theme. And the other theme is we are passive in all of them. We don't do anything. So the next parable is the parable of seeds. The farmer goes out and plants seeds. And then he goes to sleep and he gets up and he goes to sleep and he gets up and the seeds do their own work. You know why? Because they're automatic. You can't make a seed grow. Um, This is where I get in trouble. And this is why we're not doing slides today. I like being smart. Right? Unfortunately, I'm not as smart as I like to be. Um, I like to have technique. I like to have technology. I like to have clever stories, right, about bulls and Diet Pepsi. (laughs) I like those things, but I can get in God's way because I can think I'll do all of this. Guess what? In the parable of the seeds, the farmer, the guy who's planting, he ain't doing nothing. He's sleeping. There are times I need to rest and you need to rest and we all need to rest and if we do not rest, we mess things up because we try to mess with the seed in the ground. But I'm telling you, you start messing with the seed in the ground, you ain't going to do it any good, right? You can water it, you can pray for it, you can kill the bugs around it, but you can't make a seed grow. That was what I was going to preach last week, but I got and I read it and I studied it and I absorbed it and I was really moved and emotional about it on like Monday and Tuesday and then I started reading other people's sermons and I said, no, maybe I should do all this other stuff. My research is more clever than my heart. And last week's sermon wasn't very good. And it wasn't what I was supposed to preach. And this is my cheating second crack at it. Jesus does the work we can't. That's it. We're arrogant if we think we can. That's it. We will get run over if we get in his way. That is it. Um, Finally, we are on the parable of the mustard seed. And so we're in the book of Mark. You should have already opened there. Um, We are not doing sword drills, but we can if I don't see people looking down at their Bibles. If it looks like your phone... I'll get, I don't know. Josh, put your phone away. So the parable of the mustard seed. He finishes up and he says, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? Now, um, he's talking about the kingdom of God. So he's gone from like our hearts to understanding the world through the lamp to um, this, uh, God makes the growth come, and then he says, well, what do we talk about the parable, or what do we, how do we talk about the kingdom of God? The phrasing there is interesting, and it's something that a normal person would miss. Um, I missed it, uh, so a below-average person would miss it. But he is quoting a line from Isaiah. And so he quotes this sort of throwaway line, but ancient Jews would know this text backward and forward. By the time a Jewish man had finished... Elementary school, he would have memorized the first five books of the Bible and be able to, like, quote them at will. Many people went further than that and could quote Isaiah because they learned all the prophets by memory. And so we are in Isaiah. Verse 18 is what he's quoting. So find that page. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm not going to sing the song. But Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Um, to whom, then, will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? So now, this, it's a variation. He's not quoting it exactly. He's varying it to talk about the kingdom. But it is a very, like, it's a strong parallel. And then if we go beyond that, he says, because he offers two things that are contrasts. Watch this, because it gives us a lot about this parable, and it's awesome. Um, an idol. A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. Who he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skilled craftsman and sets up an idol that will not move. All right, pause there. So he says, "Listen, um, you guys are in this world, and all of us are surrounded by idols." One of the reasons I didn't want you to look at your phone for your scripture verse is um, sometimes our idol was made in China. And we stare at it when we get sad or we get depressed or we get angry or we stare at it to burn time. We use it to entertain ourselves. We pick it up. Like if you go to the little like screen time thing, you can see how many times you pick up your phone a day and it's depressing. Like just the number of times you pick it up and look at it. It's so often um, there are so many things that we make into idols. we can make our families, we can make our, our stuff. we can make being in the middle of everything and taking care of everybody's problems into an idol, right? It's mine. I got plenty. Don't worry. my heart is an idol making factory. Um, but he starts out by saying, listen, what are we going to compare God to? Are we going to compare him to an idol? Well, no. An idol is a piece of stuff. It doesn't speak. It doesn't move. It is nothing. And that's it. It stays where it's at. Do we compare God to an idol? No. And actually, Isaiah goes on from there. I can't decide if I want to sit down or stand up. Um, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood that from the foundations of the earth, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He who stretches out like the heavens, like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely are they sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither. And the tempest carries them off like stubble. And it goes on from there. The next line, to to whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. What's going on there? And how does it relate to what we're looking at? He says, listen, are we going to compare God to an idol, to a thing, No. Why? Because idols are nothing. They are not alive. They do not create. They don't move. They were made. A poor man can't afford to get a good idol, so we find some wood that's of high quality and has somebody make it for him. Right? And and we find these idols. We find them and we think, this is God. Or instead of thinking, this is God, we think, this is enough for me. This is enough to make me feel good. This is enough to make my life work. This is enough to get me through this or to solve this problem. That's me. I'm the all about idolizing technique and stuff and wisdom and approaches so that I can solve everybody's problems. But at the end of the day, I can no more solve people's heart problems than I can make plants grow in a field. And beyond just a farmer... I can't even make plants grow in my yard apart from dandelions, and I'm allergic to them. It's the one thing that I don't want to grow, and I can. And so it is in my heart, and so it is in my efforts. If I do things apart from Christ, only weeds, not just weeds, the ones I'm most allergic to are going to be the ones that grow. That is it. Everybody with me? And so we open up this text, this, this why did Jesus quote this? Well... Because it's a parable of the mustard seed. Everything up until this point, everything up until this place has been God does the work, we don't. God does the work, we don't. When we look at the world around us, it's hard to trust God because God doesn't show up and pick up things for me. He doesn't do the work in a way that's obvious to me. I have to trust the invisible God. I have to trust the God who is holy, who I cannot see, who lives inside me. But I have to have faith, and that's hard. What I can see is my idol. What I can see is my technique, my approach, my cleverness, my degrees, my education. I can see that stuff. It's easy. Trusting God is hard. This is what we're stuck with. But not stuck with, this is what we're gifted with. Because it is a gift to trust God. Once we reach a point where we trust God, we know Him more intimately, and we are filled with Him more richly, and it changes us, and it is a gift but it's a hard gift. And so Jesus starts with that line because he wants these people to remember, like, hey, what do we compare God to? Do we compare him to something in this world that's obvious? Something in this world that's easy? Something in this world that, like, is super visible and strong and muscular and powerful? No. We compare God to God. Because God is unlike anything in our world. And so we start out there where Jesus' parable is telling us Guys, trust God. Know that he is not like us. Know that he is going to do the work. I know it's warm in here. I have been thinking about it all night, the fact that the air conditioner is broken. Did you guys know that? The air conditioner doesn't work. And we have to have new air conditioner installed this summer. And part of me is like, the sermon will be awful if the air conditioner doesn't work because when it's warm, people fall asleep. That's why I want the sanctuary to be cold enough to hang meat. And so that, like, some people have to wear blankets. And I'm so sorry about that. But people stay awake when the air conditioner is on. And part of me is looking and saying, there is no air conditioner. I can feel the heat on me, and it's going to screw up the message. What a small God I think I have if I think the air conditioner or lack thereof is going to stop the gospel. Isn't that crazy? What a small God I have if I think I didn't put up every scripture verse and no one will read the scriptures and know the word of God. And what Jesus is telling us is, hey, trust, trust God in this. He's going to do the work. So from there, Mark 4 again. Sorry, we've got to go back. We're going to do one more verse after Mark 4, which will be in the book of Psalms. And we'll get to that in a minute. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which is sown in the ground which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. All right, and pause. That's verse 31. We're going to hit pause. We're going to read 32 in a second, but I want to make some points about this. So what is the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed. Number one, mustard seeds are not actually the smallest seeds in the world. Um, This is hyperbole. This is storytelling. This is something people can visibly see. They knew about mustard seeds, right? And they could hold a mustard seed in their hand, and it is really small. I brought one, and I was going to show it to you, but I lost it because it's so small. I'm kidding. Um, They are super, super little, very little, very, very little, right? And so he says, listen, the kingdom of God is like this tiny, invisible thing that looks like nothing. It looks like non-existent. And that tiny, non-existent thing is where we're going to start. Why does God pick tiny, insignificant things? Well, he does it on purpose. And Jesus picked the mustard seed on purpose because um, that tiny, invisible, insignificant thing is a thing that forces us to rely on God. Right? Um, When Gideon goes out to fight a battle... One day, he has a pretty sizable army, and God's like, yeah, there's too many of them. Let everybody who's afraid go home. Well, any general worth his salt isn't going to say that, but he says, all right, everybody who's scared go home, and a bunch of them went home, and then God's like, yeah, you still got too many soldiers, and you got to think Gideon's there like, what now? You want me to what now? You want me to send more of my soldiers home? You win battles with lots of people, and God says, go drink out of the river, and everybody who laps the water up like a dog instead of bringing it up to his mouth with his hands Send those guys home. And Gideon ends, ends up with an army that's literally a fraction the size of the enemy. And you've got to think he's scary. But what does God say? Everybody needs to know I did it. And if it's a huge army, I don't get the glory. So you're going to have to trust me with your 300 guys against their 10,000 or whatever it is. Because I am going to fight on your behalf. I'm going to tell you I would rather stand alone with God than in masses and in millions and in the mightiest armies of the world without him. And so, God says, or Jesus says, listen, the kingdom of God is like this tiny insignificant thing. It shouldn't be missed that in context, he's standing, he was standing with a crowd so big that he couldn't talk to him, so he got in a boat and paddled out onto the water and talked. There are just, you know, there are so many people here. And the disciples are probably like, this is awesome. And then he starts not preaching his regular message. He tells them stories. And they're like, well, what's going on? I don't understand. Why is he doing this? Doesn't he know this is the time to bring out the good stuff? Don't tell stories. Bring out the perfect sermon. Instead, he tells the truth. And he reveals himself, Jesus, God, to like probably 20 guys. Maybe a little more. Not many. Not many. Why? Because had you tried to start a church out of, you know, 10,000 standing on the shore, that would be one thing. But let's send those guys home because their hearts aren't right. The ones who seek out Jesus and ask him for the truth. The ones that go to the lamp, flip it on and say, help me understand what's going on in this dark place. Those are the ones. But it went from masses to dozens. It's scary. But it's the mustard seed because God would change the world from nothing. From a baby born in a stable, witnessed not by royalty but by pagans and shepherds. Like, this is God's way. He says that in Paul where he says, you know, many of, Paul's writing to this church. He says, many of you guys weren't that smart to begin with, weren't that wise by worldly standards. God picks foolish people To shame wise people. You should not be in a place where you are relying on your wisdom and your smartness and your techniques and your slides and your counseling degree and everything else to do my work. Rely on me and the work will get done. And it will get done right. And so God is going to create big things out of nothing. And there's a cool contrast here. If you jump to Psalm 80, Psalms, if you don't know how to find it, if you take your Bible and open it right to the middle, it's almost always Psalms. Right? Uh, Psalm 80 is where we're at. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10. This is in reference to the nation of Israel, right? And the nation of Israel, in their history, they were slaves in Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt and established them in the land he promised to Abraham like, like a millennia ago or whatever. And so he brings them to the promised land, like, like, and that's what this is talking about. And so they're brought out of slavery. You brought a vine... Out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took root, it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Now, why did I quote that verse? Because historically, if you were going to talk about might and grandeur and power, the go to thing was cedars. Cedars were huge, and they were strong, and they were powerful, and they were majestic. Read Song of Solomon, and every time it references beams of cedar in your house, it refers to like the man's character and how strong and majestic his character is. Whenever we see cedars referenced in the prophets or other spots, it's almost always referencing like God's great nations or how God himself is great. And so instead of doing this, though, Jesus, who like everybody knows what cedars are, everybody knows this story, instead he picks a mustard plant in the same way that Psalms starts with a vine, probably a grapevine, right? Um, because you heard it that that grapevine, Uh-oh. sorry, um, just seeing who's still awake, man, I'm kill, dying here. You guys are falling asleep. And um, Grapevines don't get that big. Compared to a cedar tree, they just do not. They don't. But when God plants the seed, this grapevine, plants this vine, transplants it, ...to the promised land and becomes their, their God and they're his people. They grow and cover the world. This grapevine grows so big that its leaves throw shade on the mountains and the cedars. Um, the mountains and the cedars in this are probably references to the great things in the world around them. The great nations, right? The great nations are humbled by Israel. And there was a time during Israel's monarchy where they were one of the most powerful nations in that part of the world. They were amazing. When they walked with God, it was amazing, though, the problem with like things going well is we tend to forget that God is doing it. We forget that it's not my technique and my counseling and my degree and my cleverness and my speaking skill and my this and my that and my air conditioning. It's God. Right. I keep talking about my stuff. I would bet a dozen donuts to anyone in this room that you got your share of this. And there's a part of you looking and saying, yeah, but I want to do this. Yeah, I know God is in the process, but this is what I think should happen. Or this is what I want to do. Or this is what I want to try. In reality, God is doing the work. And we have to trust him. We have to trust the body of Christ that is the church, our brothers and sisters. Why? Because these are the people God put here to do this stuff. He's doing the work. He's doing it through us. And our job is to get out of the way or get stomped on and learn from the process. You know, we learn to let go and get out of the way. Or we learn not to hit the calf on the backside as it goes by. Or we learn whatever it is that we learn. But we learn it and it's painful. So he, Jesus doesn't use cedars. He uses mustard. Why mustard? Because mustard starts tiny. And nobody, I mean like I love the mustard fields here. Do you guys ever notice them? When you're out driving, you see the yellow fields, like when, the, like toward the end of summer, the yellow fields come up, and they're beautiful. I love that. But like the mustard bush, yeah, it gets big. It ain't no cedar, right? It ain't no tree. They do get big, but it's still like a really big bush, because it's just a bush. Um, and so, why does he say a mustard seed? Because if God's kingdom is great, it came from God. That's it. If God's work is great, it came from God. If God's hand on our lives, if our salvation through the blood of Christ, like which the only thing we bring to it is the need to be saved in the first place, not our works, not our good decisions, not our smartness, not how awesome I am, and Jesus saved me because I'm so wonderful. Nothing. Jesus saves us because he loves us that much, because he is awesome. He takes nothing and makes amazing things out of it. And so, the mustard seed. So, like, to kind of review my points. I actually have a structure I didn't just make this up. We started out talking about the context. Now we're talking about the mustard seed. How God creates big things out of nothing. How God creates big things out of seemingly helpless things. And oftentimes we might look at those helpless things and say, this beginning of a spiritual movement on God's part it's not enough. I need to step in and help, right? I need, to, uh, I need to preach the right sermon. I need to step in and do the right thing. I need to, um, you know, we had lilac bushes that I watered every day, and I drowned them and killed them. You know how hard it is to kill a lilac bush? Like, it is super hard. People can't get rid of them once they get going, and I killed it because I couldn't let the stupid thing grow on its own. I had to help, and I killed it. And so it starts with this tiny thing, this insignificant thing. And we say, this cannot change the world. These dozen guys, they cannot change the world. But they did. And they did it with swords and knives and conquest. Nope. They did it by changing the hearts of the people they encountered. Actually, they didn't do it. Who did it? God did it. They told a crazy story that nobody at the time would believe. And a lot of people today don't believe. And that crazy story found root and hearts that were ready, and it grew. And in fact, actually, if we follow the parable here, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when it's sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. Ooh, love that. Here's why. So this tiny, invisible little plant grows into a tree. Um, Trees are often associated with nations, but it's not a cedar. It's something different. And it's so big that birds can land in its branches. Now, whether or not I've read arguments about whether or not birds can actually nest in the branches of mustard bushes, right? I think they can, depending. Actually, I looked it up. There's like 800 different kinds of mustard. It's ridiculous. Uh, And not just that brown kind and the yellow kind and the honey kind. Or the Chick-fil-A kind, which I should have picked up a couple of packets of. Um, none of that. Like, there's, there's all these different kinds. But birds come and they nest in the branches in the prophets. So you see it in Daniel. I believe you see it in Ezekiel. And you see it in a novella. Did you know there were novellas in the ancient world? What the heck is that? But there's a novella that was written at the time of Christ's life that uses birds the same way that Daniel and Ezekiel use it as a symbol of gentiles the non-chosen people being brought in and associated with God's chosen and the way that that symbol works is the birds land in the branches of the tree and make nests there because they're brought into the 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 nation the chosen ones to the promise to Abraham to all of this they're brought in and they're made part of the family and it's amazing and so what Jesus is saying here is look The kingdom starts from something so insignificant you don't think it could grow. But if you trust the seed to do the job, if you trust the gospel, if you trust the blood of Christ, if you trust God himself to do the job, he can take nothing and make it into something. And when he makes it into something, it becomes something so big that it will fill the world like the church has. And not only will it fill the world, but the lost, the Gentiles. The rejects, the losers, the broken ones will come and sit in the branches. The gross people, the think, people we think God can never fix him. God can never help that man. Um, and it does it itself. That's amazing. My biggest struggle with this series of proverb, or, or stories has been how to explain it well enough so you guys get excited by it. And I, I, it's a really hard thing to realize that I can't do that. I, I could probably, like, practice and polish and learn technique and everything else and be a really, really awesome preacher, and, like, if the Holy Spirit isn't in it, it's like a Weekend at Bernie's. You guys seen that movie where they take the dead guy, and they, like, go around with him and pretend he's still alive, and they, like, have use him like a puppet and convince everybody that he's not dead? Uh, we do that sometimes when the Holy Spirit's not in the work we're doing or in the... The ministry we're doing, or in our like 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 sermon or whatever, and we try to prop it up and animate it and puppet it like it's alive. If it's not alive, it ain't alive. The Holy Spirit is the only thing that makes us alive spiritually. That's it. That was a really obscure reference. Um, what is this? How do we apply this? Cause it's a weird sermon, and I'm I'm trying a different approach. I'll admit. So it might be a little more scattered than I would be if I had all my slides and everything else. But I'm trying here. Um, what do we do with this? How do we apply this? Well, for starters, we apply it in the body of Christ by trusting God to do the work. How do we trust God to do the work? Well, sometimes we step back and we let God do the work. Sometimes, actually not sometimes, just sometimes about it, always, always we pray. If we're looking away from something and not praying about it, we're not trusting God. We're ignoring it and hoping for the best. If we are bringing things to God and laying them down before his throne. Actually, Paul says in Hebrews, maybe Paul, who knows, um, probably Paul. Paul says in Hebrews that um, when we pray, because we are adopted in Christ, that we literally are coming before God's throne. And we are there with angels around us and God on his throne. And we're talking to him directly. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so bringing things to God daily is a part of it. And I'm going to tell you guys there are ways we need to do this. This church needs that right now. Right? We do. There are more than a few people here with dislocated ribs and footprints from a bull on their chest right now. Right? If you're not praying for those people, you're hoping for the best. That's it. We need to pray. Can God take broken things in our lives, hurt things, and turn them into miracles? Yes. Any day, twice on Sunday, through Christ. Right? Through Christ. And that means we have to rely on Christ. We do that by praying, and we do it by imitating Christ in all our circumstances. Well, how do we imitate Christ in all our circumstances? We pray, we love one another, and we serve holy mess, that's hard. Isn't it? It's hard. Because I'm busy. Every farmer in this room is busier than I am by a hundred. Right? We're busy. And also, I don't want to. Right? I, I picked on Mark this morning. Several of us picked on Mark because he got up and prayed. Um, sometimes we just are uncomfortable. And the things that we're asked to do are hard and uncomfortable. But... Like, the only reason I wrestled that bull at the end of that branding and I got stomped on was because I looked around and I said, there's no one else to do it, I have to. There are days that those of us who have broken ribs and and bruises are looking around and saying, well, I guess there's no one to do it, so I have to. I, I will tell you there are jobs in this church that people are hurt and can't do right now, and we need people to step up. Faith without works is not living. God does the work, but he puts us in the place sometimes to do the work. And we need people to sit in nursery. We do. We need people to do children's church. We need people to get up on Sunday mornings and pray. We need people to organize who passes the plates around so that it's being done right and I don't find out in the middle of service that we don't have anyone to hand around plates. There's so much work to be done, and the people who do it, a lot of us are hurt. I'm hurt. I didn't realize how hurt until recently. It's hard. This is a hard place to work. But it is the most blessing I've ever received to be in community with you people. Like, I've met Jesus here in so many things. But we have to trust him. And I have to trust you. We all have to trust each other. And so we either get up together and we do the work. Those of us who are hurt and pretending not to be those of us who've got sin in our lives, right? I, I steal sometimes. I don't steal sometimes. This is an example. You know, I, you know, those of us who look at pornography and are afraid anybody will find out. Those of us who are depressed all the time. Those of us who, uh, you know, who, who are broken in one way or another or filled with doubt or are scared or lost or whatever, like, come and talk to us. Trust us enough to carry you, Right? the mustard seed will grow with or without you. It's going to happen. You can be a part of that, or you could choose not to. But I'm telling you, like God has put you here to do work, to serve, to love, to pray. Pray, serve, love. On Mondays, we pray. Is that right? Is it Mondays or Tuesdays? Monday night at 6 o'clock, we pray. Here. Some of us forget. we pray here. Come pray with us. Get up in the morning and pray. Pray for the folks who've been stomped on. Pray for me, but pray for everybody else before you pray for me. I need prayer, but I don't need it as much as everybody else does. Yeah, I know there are bulls around. I got two quotes for you that I wanted to finish with. I need a lot of prayer, guys. I can't do this, and I'm struggling to let go of the fact that I can't do everything. And it's hard, and i got to trust you guys more. So that's it. This is my confession. Uh, God created the world out of nothing, and so long as we are nothing, he can make something out of us. My prayer for us today is that we can be mustard seeds. We can serve in little embarrassing ways, changing diapers in the nursery, teaching kids about the Bible, pouring coffee in the morning, standing at the door and shaking hands, Going and praying for people when they're sick, visiting people in the hospital, washing people's feet—whatever it is, this is what we're called to do. There's an 80-20 principle in church work. 80% of the work, or 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. There's an ironclad rule: 80% of the work in the church is done by 20% of the people, and 80% of the. Complaining is done by the 80% who ain't doing nothing. And there's this whole like thing, and it's like ironclad law. It's what churches do. And I think that it's not in the Bible, and that's a problem, that it's an ironclad law in the church and it's not in the Scripture. Freaking Jeremy Eccles has made me deal with that. Um, we are not an 80-20 church. We are a 100% church. We are mustard seeds in a field growing to change our lives, change the world through Christ, for Christ. We'll rely on him to do it but you got to get up and help. That's it. We need help. Um, If you see something broken, tell Jeremy Eccles or Michelle Bond-Miller and then fix it yourself. (laughs) Got it? If you know somebody's sick or mourning, let me know, let the members' committee know, and then go visit them yourself. Because if God told you it needed to be done, He told you, not so you could tell someone else. He could tell me. But if he told you, he told you so you could do it. I'm not trying to wag my finger at you, but I'm telling you, you cannot grow spiritually if you do not serve. You will not be a part of the mustard seed if you stay in the ground and wait. That is it. My last line is actually from uh, another great philosopher, a teacher who has influenced me greatly recently. There's no greater gift that we could hope to receive than to be set free from the lies that bind us in human self-reliance. If we rely on our own efforts, if we are not praying, if we are not serving, if we are not listening to God when he tells us, go do that, and we're relying on somebody else to do it, we're bound up. Guys, love each other, serve each other, and then love each other some more. And then you should have been praying the whole time and keep praying. Um, If you need help in this, if you want to help with your sin, if you want to help with your depression, help with whatever, come talk to me, talk to Jeremy Eccles, talk to Callan, talk to Adam, who is a hero, and that quote was from him because he's brilliant. Um, Come talk to us and we'll help you. But join us in the growth. I know I went way long, I don't care. Let's pray. Um, I guess our luncheon was uh, living, or was the scriptures, right? Like we're going to feast on anything, we'll feast on the scriptures. Uh, Heavenly Father. I pray that you would be with us. Uh, I pray that we would get away from relying on ourselves and our techniques and our tricks and our air conditioning and everything else and learn to rely wholeheartedly, embody, soul, everything on you. Help us to pour our lives and our hearts before you, before your throne. Um, I pray, Lord God, that those those who heard the gospel today, heard that your son died for him, that he does all the work for our salvation, would come to know him more. I felt those, I pray that those who are convicted, that, that they need to stand up and work. They need to serve. They need to love. They need to be a part of the growth that's taking place. Or they need to let go and let other people carry it um, or let you carry it. I pray that you would touch their hearts and prompt them. Those who have been stepped on or kicked and are laying on the ground hurting, pray that we wouldn't try to ice them up, that we would instead back up and pray for them and then figure out how to serve them best. In Christ's name, amen.